Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And then we're also going to go to uh, Romans 12 and 2. And then Brother Ben, I actually added another one on you up there, if that's all right. If you can't get to it, you're fine. You're also doing podcasting. He's wearing two hats tonight. Uh, but James 1, 22 through 25. Man. Ephesians 4, 22, 24. If you're there, say amen. It says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, true holiness. And then jump down to Romans 12. Um, well, not jump down, I guess. For me, it's jump down. For you, it's got to turn to. I'll give you a second. Um, Romans 12 and 2. Romans 12 and 2. This is New King James Version. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to read, um, just for some context, the amplified version of this. And it says this, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. I love that. It says, be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Then James 1.22 through 25, it says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgettable hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So I, 22 is where I really want to take it from tonight. Be ye, or but be ye doers of the word and not hearers, only deceivers, only deceiving your own selves. So tonight I want to speak on this thought Living a biblically-based life. You said we've already read a lot of scripture tonight, just kicking off. Um, but if, if you ever hear a message that does not have scripture in it, it is a motivational speech. It is not, it is not a word from the Lord. We, we can't live by our own opinions, but we have to live by the word of God. Amen. We have the scripture for a reason, and tonight we're going to try to break that down and, and to help us understand why it's so important to live a biblically-based life, and then 
Um, if I would put a second title on this, this is kind of what I'm talking about tonight. Sin, encounter, and change. Sin, encounter, and change. Amen. So on this journey of walking with God, one of the most dangerous and deceiving things we can do is to look at our life and how we're living this life through our own filter and not a biblical filter. Amen? A lot of people make a lot of decisions based upon what they see themselves. They look at a situation and they think, how can I handle this situation? Or what needs to take place in this situation? Or what would be most beneficial for me in this situation? There have been many times, and I'm sure a lot of you can agree in here, there have been a lot of times that there were decisions that I was going to make that would have altered my life, that would have changed the outcome of my life if it was not for me taking a biblical approach to it or listening to the man of God who took a biblical approach to it. Uh, there, there are many, I, I've probably told this story, but when I was 19, I was offered a job uh, in Arizona, and it was uh, making $100,000 a year at the company truck, and I drove around and just kind of made sure people were doing their job, and it sounded very tempting. Um, but there was a man of prayer in my life. His name is Dan Pullen. And if anybody you know uh, down the road, uh, Sister Dunnels, uh, this is her brother. And Dan Pullen called me. He was my youth pastor at the time. He called me and he said, I need to meet you for lunch. And I said, yes, sir. And I, I thought, I'm not turning down. He said, I'll pay. I'm not turning down free lunch. So I met him for lunch. I had not said anything to him about this. I'm not even sure if I even told you guys about this at that point. I was chewing on that offer. And this man of God, man of prayer, sat across the table from me. He said, I don't know exactly what the offer is that has been placed in front of you. He said, but if you take this offer, he said, you will walk out of the will of God for your life. And you will miss out on everything he has laid out before you. Wow. So instantly, my filter shut off. <laughs> Because I was looking at the dollar signs. I was looking at the company truck. I, I, mean, I was looking at warm weather year-round. Um, I was looking at all these things at 19 years old. That looks really good. But when, when someone brings the biblical perspective into it and the biblical filter into it, and when that filter came over that situation, and when I began to look at it from a biblical standpoint, I thought, I'm not going to be in alignment with God. So I made the phone call, and I said, I, you're, you're going to think I'm nuts, but I'm, going to, I'm turning it down. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. And I realized tonight that living, living a life with a biblical foundation and a base has allowed me. Now, have I had troubles? Yes. There's been things that's happened. We all have because life's not perfect. We're not perfect. All right? But we're trying to strive and live for a perfect God. So those things are going to happen, but in the end, if you can keep yourself biblically in line with God and where he wants you to be, I promise you that life, life will be better, you'll be happier, you'll have joy, you might not have everything that the people around you have, but guess what? If you've got God and you know him, there's a biblical foundation, you can build anything upon that biblical foundation that he places in your hand, Amen. So if we are ever going to become what God truly designed us to be, we must be willing to put our thoughts, put our opinions, our wants, our needs, 
and our own wisdom to the side and begin to allow God's word to become the leading factor in how we live this life that, uh, let's all think, let's think about this, live this life that he blessed us with. If we believe the Bible, then we believe that he created us, he formed us in our mother's womb, that he designed us. My DNA is what he chose my DNA to be. Amen? Tonight, I stand here, and, and it's right now in the world, it's a uh, controversial topic, but I stand here tonight and tell you that I am, a, a, in my DNA, biologically, I am a man because God made me a man. I'm not confused about it. I know who I am because I know the God who made me who I am. That's the difference is the relationship with God. There's no confusion. God, see, it's not the author of confusion. When you put God in the equation, the confusion leaves. So where there is confusion, God is not in that. That's a whole other sermon. Amen. But I, I, I want to be what God has called me to be. Amen. You see, people have a tendency to get upset when life does not go their way. Do you know anybody like that? Do not point at your spouse if they're here. Um, sometimes, you know, if anybody got kiddos and life just doesn't go their way, Brother Matt, I see your head just nodding. Uh-huh. Life just doesn't go their way sometimes, and, and it kind of seems like everything is falling apart. The world's ending um, because, you know, they might not have got this or that, or you're not going where they wanted you to go, and, and things happen. But even us as adults, we have a tendency inside of us that maybe, maybe we don't all show it as much as some, but we have that tendency that when something just doesn't go your way, I mean, whether you, whether you like it or not, it's, 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 it kind of stinks. I really didn't want it to go this way, but this is the direction it's going, so I guess we're just going to live with it. But there are people that have that tendency, but reality is this. Our life, your life, my life, when truly sold out to God, was never intended to go our way anyways. When you give your life to him, you give your life to him. And, and that's why when I, when I talk about that biblical filter that when, when I made a decision at a very young age that, you know, this is who I'm going to be. And, and I told you, I think on Sunday at the age of 12 at, these, at the campgrounds that uh, Anthony Maroney, Pastor Anthony Maroney came and laid hands on me and he, and he prophesied over my life and spoke into my life. Uh, that I was called into the ministry. I accepted that at 12 years old. So to think, think back that when I allowed my, my physical filter, my fleshly filter to come in and see the, the dollar signs, that, that life would have changed completely for me if there was not that biblical filter that came in. And I realized that it, it is my desires, my thoughts, all those things were removed in that moment, because what mattered to me was I want to be in alignment with God. It was never about me. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. We, we can be selfish people and not even realize it sometimes. We make it about ourselves. When to think about this, that Jesus made it about you. Sister Sandy believes it. Thank you, Sister Sandy. Jesus made it about you. And, and even though he made it, about, he made it about us, 
we in our flesh sometimes, this is why you have to make sure that you don't have a, a, a fleshly base that you live on, but it has to have a biblical base that you live on because it changes the way that you live when you have a biblical base. When you go off of Scripture, you understand what Scripture says and that you're striving to love Him because you will begin to live your life differently because you're, you're, you're not about yourself anymore. and You have that understanding that this life was never about me. I'm here for a reason and for a purpose, but it has, has not, not much to do with me. But it has to do with what is God's purpose in my life. So it's not about, it's not going to go our way, but through grace and mercy, God gave us the ability to live life in the way He designed it for us through biblical guidance and instruction. So His Word, it matters. Amen? His Word matters in our life. We must have Scripture in our life. We have to have Scripture in our life. We cannot live this life without Scripture in our life daily. I heard it said one time when I was a teenager, and uh, there was a, one of the young ladies in our youth group, she had a little five-minute spot to speak, and she ended her, her, um, her thought with this line. She said, God is not an ATM machine that you simply go to when you want to withdraw. And I have never forgotten that line, because it is so true, that how many times we treat, we treat God's word is like an ATM machine, that we never, we never go to it until we, we need something. We need to make a withdrawal, that we're going to go and say, Lord, and I, I love those people that, that they're like, God, I need a word today. Yeah, that doesn't work. I need a word today. I mean, if I did that, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. How's that going to speak to me? But when you're in his word daily, and this is, this is kind of just second nature, it's part of who you are, it's in your DNA, that there is a hunger, there's a hunger for it. I, 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 loved, I loved back when, when Brother Sam, when you first started really getting into the Bible, you started reading it at nighttime, you told me, you said, Pastor, I can't put the thing down, I just feel like I, just, I need to get more and more and more of it. it, it it's, like, it's like when you go and you get that that piece of food or or maybe it's like when you take that first bite of that bread that that cinnamon roll which I heard do you have some for sale and I know what house they're going to too I know where you live Uh uh-huh but when you take that first bite I mean, I remember Lancaster. I remember the, that first time I had that bite of those. And I, what is this? My goodness. Uh, and you can't, you can't eat just one of those. Right, Brother Mark? You got to eat a dozen at least. See, you got, you got to have a dozen at least with that butter. I, just, I mean, you just got to go in on it. I'll tell you what's really good is you get some Hidden Valley Ranch and just, hallelujah, I got to move on. Um, <laughs> But if we would, if you get that taste of it, you want more of it. Why? Because it's good. Because you, you, when you take that bite, it's the flavor. It's just you're tasting that. You're taking it in and saying, my goodness, this is good for me. It's the same thing with the word of God. We got to get to that place where we, we take, we, we open this up daily, daily. And, and allow that, to, that nutrition to come into our life and it feeds us spiritually. Because I promise you right now that when you get into it, you, know, you, you might not see a difference for the first couple of days, maybe two, three days. But I promise you, if you get in the habit of getting into the Word of God, 
and you get the bread of life right here into you, that you're going to be, you're going to realize that, you know what, I, I have more joy than I used to have. You know, those, de- those depressive thoughts, I, I'm not dealing with those anymore. You know, that anxiety is gone. You know, the, 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 those thoughts I've been having or those feelings, but those, those things are, those troubles that I had, you know, I just realized I'm not really dealing with those anymore. Why? Because the word of God. You're building a biblical foundation. And when the foundation is laid, you begin to build things on top of that. You have to have a biblical foundation and base. Psalms, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, his word matters. If you don't find success, pleasure, fulfillment, and joy in living for God, then you are doing it for the wrong reasons. I'll say it one more time. If you don't, if you don't find success, pleasure, fulfillment, and joy in living for God, then you are doing it for the wrong reasons. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's scripture. That tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. How do you get in the presence of God? Well, you can invite him in in prayer in your home. You can open his word. And guess what? The word becomes alive in your life. And you'll feel that joy. So question tonight. So what is, what is a wrong reason or motivation to live for God? You say, is there one? Or what would, you, what would, what would make me feel this absence of purpose and fulfillment if I attend church, I pay my tithes, I give offerings, I serve in ministry? What would make me feel that way? Well, here's the answer. You lose your purpose in life when the only reason you live for God is to make heaven. You say, hold on, aren't we supposed to do that? Well, this is why we're having Bible study. If the only reason that you're living for God, if you think this is your purpose, that's your purpose, well, think about this. Heaven, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this, you can write this down. If you're not, it's on the podcast. You can listen to it. Heaven is not our goal in life. It is our reward in eternity. Right? You can't achieve heaven on earth. I'll never forget, when I was about 15, I worked at Kroger's, and I was talking to one of the cashiers. I was the, the morning bagger, and she was Jehovah Witness, and... Um, she said, you know this is heaven. <laughs> and I just leaned on the desk and I said, I'm sorry, what? She said, you know that we are in heaven right now. I said, well, I surely would hate to see hell. Because <laughs> I thought this was pretty close. <laughs> I know you 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 think you think this is this is heaven. She said, Well, yeah, we're currently in heaven. I'm making minimum wage in heaven. Like uh, I I thought uh, and bagging groceries in heaven. Uh, and I thought, wow, okay. Um, that's really sad. But you think about that. Heaven is not in this life. It is not. Heaven is eternal. So our goals in life should be this right here. And I think you're going to 
recognize this. Here's our goals in life. Love God. Love people. Make disciples while we watch for Jesus. We know heaven's coming, but heaven is not our goal. Heaven is our reward for living this life the way he tells us to biblically. So, see, that's, what, that's the problem is a lot of people come in and they, 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 re, they receive the Holy Ghost, they get baptized, and, and they think, this is it. I, I, I did my part. Now I'm just going to, my goal is heaven. i got to make heaven. got to make heaven. got to make heaven. But then they lose touch with the fact that there's so much more than just those two things ha- taking place. But God has called us to love him. You say, well, how do we know that? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. It says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Well, what love people? Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. About make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is biblical. If you're, if you're wondering, how do I live a godly life? How do I live a biblical-based life? Through the Bible, through Scripture. It gives us instruction. It gives us direction. You say, well, how, I don't, what am I supposed to be doing? Here you go. Love God. Look it up. What's it mean to love God? How important is it to God? Well, how important is it to love people? You can see right here. Well, how important is it to God to make disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. He said, go. He didn't say, come receive the Holy Ghost, get baptized in my name, and come sit on a a chair at church and and don't, don't do anything else. Just wait for heaven. No. That's not what he said. But he said a biblical-based life is to do these things and while you're watching for his return. And we understand that Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That day is coming. We understand that. Yes, I'm excited for that day. And the crazier this world gets, I'm thinking, Lord, you got to be close. It's got to be coming because it's getting crazy down here. But I have to understand that, uh, yes, I got to make sure I'm ready. I've got to make sure I'm right. Well, how do you do that? Through his word. It's biblically based. And to understand that if I do what his word tells me and I'm making disciples and I'm loving him and I'm loving people as I watch for him, then then my reward is going to be heaven. It's biblically based. You see, a relationship with God is more than a one-time experience. And too many people treat God as a one-time life-changing experience, which is true to a point, but the one-time experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost For the first time, yes, it is life-changing. It it is to receive that and you feel that and you have that evidence that nobody can tell you it's not real anymore. James, it's real. Is it real? How do you know that? Because you experienced it. Is getting baptized in his name, do you feel different when you come up out of that water? It changed your life? Yes. How do you know that? Because I've done it and experienced it and I know that it works. I know that it changes me. So, yes, it, it's, it's a great thing. It is life-changing to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But it is what comes after that that is what actually changes your life. So tonight we're talking about, if you remember, sin, encounter, and change. 
living that biblically, biblically based life is what brings the, removes the sin, gives you an encounter, and gives you change in your life. So that one-time experience is the key that unlocks the door to change your life, but it is up to the individual to step through that door and start living that changed life. I've seen a lot of people come in and get baptized. I've seen a lot of people come in and receive the Holy Ghost, and they're not here tonight. Because they, they, they thought in their mind that it was a one-stop, one-night fix where this is it, I'm good, I can just go live life now. The change did not come. They experienced it, but they, didn't, they, they weren't hungry for the change. You see, when, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in his name, there, there, there's this hunger if not ignored, it's that key that opens that door to change in your life. Because God's not going to give you something, this great miracle of receiving the Holy Ghost, for you just to waste it. He's not going to remove your sins in baptism for you just to go right back to the sinful life you were living. It requires change. So it takes an effort on our part to start living a biblically-based life to actually see change. So I think, actually, I believe Brother, Brother Brooks said it earlier, something about applying the word. It's one thing to hear it. It's the opening scripture, which is amazing. He read that tonight. James 1, 22 to 25, that it's not just hearing the word, but actually applying the word and doing what the word says. It takes effort on our part. No one in the NFL, the NBA, or the MLB, so professional football, basketball, baseball, you could just keep going, any sport you want, or any other professional sport, no one, no one went to a one-day training camp and became a professional sports star the next day. I'm pretty sure, Scott, that if I went down to the Red Stadium tomorrow and said, I know a lot about baseball. Let me show you what I can do. That they're going to make me the manager and put me on the field and let me play. That's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I, I, I promise you it's not going to happen. So we have to understand that it was the initial experience for these athletes that they had maybe as a child or maybe as an adult, maybe a teenager, at a training camp or a sports camp that ignited a fire inside of them that made them say, this is who I am and this is who I want to be in my life. They weren't going to settle for anything else. Michael Jordan said, I want to be a basketball star. Well, his junior high coach cut him from the team and told him, you're not good enough to make it. I'm sure he felt pretty ignorant later. But he told him, he said, you're not good enough to make it. Michael Jordan said that it ignited a fire in him, not just to prove him wrong, but to prove himself to himself that I can do this. And he went on to be, and I will, I will let this be known, that LeBron James is not the greatest of all time. That Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time basketball players. All right. I just had to get that out. There's an argument going on right now between everybody. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just want to set, this, set the record straight tonight. Amen. And, uh, well, Brother Ben, we'll pray for you tonight. Um, 
These altars are open. but when you, when you think about this, it is, it is something that is inside of them. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that just, you know, he said, well, here I am. You know, sign me up. Put me on the team. Um, I, make me a millionaire. No, that's not what happened. And you can look at other sports stars. You can look at Tiger Woods. He started playing golf when he was three years old. It's pretty young. Well, he was not on the, uh, on the PGA Tour until he was 19. So for 16 years, because of one experience at three years old, he set out to dedicate his life to a purpose to fulfill his desires to be a pro golfer. It took years, weeks, thousands of days at a driving range hitting practice balls, bucket after bucket after bucket, thousands of hours studying golf courses and golf clubs to find the right equipment to understand the, the sport of golf. So when, when we have a one-time experience, you got to understand that it was a one-time experience at the age of three when his dad put a golf club in his hand for the first time and said, hit that little tiny white ball. And I know some of you are thinking that's probably the dumbest sport I've ever heard of in my life, try to hit that little ball in a hole. And I know that Brother Bob said if I would take him that I could hit the ball and he would shoot it with a shotgun. Um, but for him, something clicked. Something was ignited inside of him with a one-time experience at the age of three that he said, this is who I'm going to be in life. This is going to be who I am. I'm going to be the, a pro golfer. I'm going to strive to be the best that I can be. I want to be the best in the game. I'm going to try to top everybody I can. There was something that took place when he was 19 to come out on his first time to go pro golf. At three years old, something, something set that off. It was that experience. So we look at us. So when we have a one-time experience with Jesus in an altar or in a baptismal tank, we cannot think that it alone is going to radically transform who we are overnight. Now, James, I mean, you received the Holy Ghost Friday night. Do you you feel like, did you, have you had any issues, any problems since then? Any? Yeah, have you had like, well, you're off work right now, so you're just like living it up. He's on vacation. But life still happens. Have you gotten frustrated about anything? Your wife's shaking her head, so. Disagree. Frustrations are still going to come. And, and you say, well, why are you saying this tonight? Because I want, I want James to know, man, I'm so glad you guys are here. I am. I love this family. So glad they're here. But as your pastor, I want you to understand that there's more than what happened on Friday night and Sunday morning. There is a change that God's wanting to bring to your life that is going to fulfill a purpose in your life that you might not even realize was even there, that God's going to do that. And it, but you had to have that first experience for it to take place. You had, now you know it's real. This is real. The Holy Ghost is real. You know, speaking that heavenly language is real. I've done it. Being baptized in Jesus' name is real. You've had that experience. Now the Lord has placed in your hand a key that will unlock the door to change in your life of who he wants you to be. That, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's, it all starts that one place, that one time. 
So we cannot think that it's going to happen overnight. But if there, uh, but if this is who we long to be in our life, then we have to study God's word. Just as Tiger Woods would study what he wanted to become and who he wanted to be in life, a young athlete can look uh, at a pro athlete that's been playing for 20 or 30 years, longer than them, and they can um, look at them and say, I want to become that overnight. Well, it's not going to happen. I never forget that right before, um, before uh, Sister B and I got married, I actually I, I moved. We got engaged um, and I moved two weeks later to Louisiana and left her here to plan the wedding all by herself. And um, when I, before I moved down there, I, I, we went over to visit my aunt and uncle. They've been here multiple times, Lorenzo's. And my uncle Mark, if you know him, um, he is a man of wisdom. He's a man of the word. He's a man of prayer. And he sat down and he said, I want to tell you something. I said, yeah, go ahead. And um, he said, I don't, want you, I don't want you two to think that you have to have or you're going to have what we have in a short period of time. He said, there's something right now in this generation where there are a lot of, a lot of individuals, young couples that think they have to, they have to have what their parents have overnight. He said, you don't understand the hours that I've worked, the stuff we've went through to have what we have. He said, it's not going to happen overnight. And I want you to understand that tonight as well in a spiritual aspect is that you're not going to come in here tonight. You're not going to be brand new um, in, in the church and, and look around and, and you're going to say, you know what? Um, I want to have everything that Sister Brooks has spiritually. Sister Brooks has lived a little longer than us. She's 50 years old. Uh-huh. Love you, Sister Brooks. Uh-huh. She has lived a little longer than us. She's experienced a little more than us. She has been through battles, valleys, wars. You have faced things in your life that people probably don't even know what you've faced and what you've went through. But because you learned how to pray and because you learned how to stay in the word of God, that you are a powerful woman of God and a pillar of this church tonight. So we have to understand that, you know, you're, you're not going to have, you're not, you're not going to have what she has overnight. Because there are things you're going to face. There are things you're going to go through. Life is not just going to be simple all the time. But I promise you this. That if you stay faithful to God, that you will grow stronger in him. Because a biblically based life will not let you down. It won't. Philippians 3.14 says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are pressing towards the mark. Pressing. You know what pressing means? means it's not an easy way to go. You're pressing towards the mark. I want to um, start wrapping things up tonight. I want to go to John 8, starting at verse 1. And it says here that, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught, and, and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had her set, they set her in his midst, 
that they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us such that should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. We could all learn something from that. When someone comes at you, just act like you don't hear them. There are some people who just need to be like, yep, it's going to ignore you. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. So picture this. They're surrounding her with stones in their hands, getting ready to kill her. And he simply stands up and says, any of you that don't have sin, any of you that are perfect, go ahead. Throw the first one. Throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he stands up, makes the statement, and goes right back to what he was doing. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers, the accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So to understand this tonight, that she had been caught. She was guilty. The evidence was there. She did deserve stoning according to the law of Moses. You could look at Leviticus 20 and 10 or Deuteronomy 22, 22. Um, but the religious leaders who had dragged her there had no concern for holiness. They weren't operating in a heart of grace, mercy, or forgiveness, but a heart of self-righteousness. They were even trying to trap Jesus into saying the law did not matter. Jesus often reminded those religious leaders that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. It says, do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I want to wrap our minds around this fact tonight, that he being Jesus, hear this, he being Jesus in that moment, as God of the Old Testament, robed in flesh, was in fact the author of that law they were trying to throw at him. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. It comes from him. This is his word. You've got to believe that first before this will do anything in your life. So the Pharisees focused on the letter of the law but missed the true spirit of it, which is given in Galatians 5.14. It says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus refused to condemn the woman, he was not minimizing the importance of holiness. He was not affirming her actions. He was not telling her, this is okay what you've done. He was not ignoring her sin, but he was offering her the same kind of forgiveness he offers to us that we see in Acts 3.19. It says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
So when Jesus said, go and sin no more to this woman, Jesus was not speaking of sinless perfection, but he was warning against a return of spiritual lifestyle choices. He was telling her, go and sin no more. His words, now this is powerful, listen to this. His words in that moment when he was saying, go and sin no more, here's what he was saying. His words both extended mercy unto her. He said, go. Now, according to the law, he could have stoned her. But instead, Jesus says, go. I'm going to extend mercy unto you. He extended mercy, but at the same time, he demanded holiness. Let that one sink in. That when he said, go and sin no more, he said, I'm going to give you mercy, but I also demand holiness from you. Jesus was always the perfect balance of grace and truth. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness, but we must understand that with forgiveness comes the expectation that we will not continue in the same path of rebelliousness and sin that we were in before we found him. That's the change that comes. That's that's the change that is there, that is offered unto everybody. But the reality is not everybody takes that. They take the gift and they run with it. But the change never takes place. He said, I'll show you my mercy, but I also, I require something of you. Because if you're, go, if you're going to go down in my name, you got to understand it's because, it's because of my blood. I purchased you. You belong to me. And when we belong to him, you say, when I belong to him. Now, now think about this tonight. Everyone here has a father. You wouldn't be here if not. You have a father. And maybe some of you were raised by them. Maybe some were not. But if you had a father and you were raised, maybe you had a father figure that they were giving you instruction as you were growing. You are who you are today. Part of that is because of what your father or father figure spoke into your life, right? You say, so, okay, so spiritually, if, if, I, am, if, if I am his child, a child of Christ, then how do I know what to do and how to act and how to behave? We tell our children how to behave, right? We tell them what is right and what is wrong. How do we know that with our heavenly father? He has given us a word. He can speak instruction to us every day. He can tell us what is right and what is wrong every day. Through prayer, through his word, he can give us those things. So there are two things that bring change into the life of a believer. Willingness to change has to be the number one thing. If you don't want to change, nobody's going to change you. And then obedience to God's word. If you're willing and you're obedient to God's word, change will come. Those who know God's love will naturally want to obey God's word. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So when we turn to God and receive his forgiveness, we experience a heart change. Something happens. You have an experience. There is a great truth in understanding that. That forgiveness is not cheap. When you have that experience of forgiveness and mercy that he extends to you, that is not cheap. And it does not excuse the sin that separated us from God in the first place. It cost God everything to offer us the cleansing 
that pronounces us righteous before him. You see, and here's the, the beautiful part of being forgiven by him. Rather than continuing in self-centered path that led us astray from him to begin with, the forgiven can walk in God's path that he has placed before them. God's forgiveness allows us full access to where he is, who he is, and what he is for our life. So a move toward God is a move toward righteousness, purity, and holy living. So we have a have to live a life of holy living in order to access the things of God. You might ask tonight, well, I have to make changes to get closer to God. Well, why? Why does the, what does the scripture say? It says in 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. If he's your God, and he says, I am holy, so he requires us and is asking of us to seek holiness in our life. What does that mean? Well, that's a whole other scripture, and that's a whole other lesson that we could go into that, would, that we're probably going to be getting into this summer on holiness, inward and outward holiness. It is something that we need to have in our life. Why? Because the scripture says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So we cannot experience a tran- transformation or transforming power of forgiveness without being forever changed. It goes without saying that the woman caught in adultery did not return to her sin, She had met Jesus. She had an experience with him. She would not be perfect, no, when she left. Why? Because no one is perfect except for him. But she was forever changed. Her eyes had been opened to the devastation of what she was doing before she met him, before that experience. And after that experience with Jesus, she desired change, transformation, not a temporary altering of her life that would fade away after time that a lot of people go after, but her sin no longer held the appeal that it once did after an encounter with the Savior. In closing, we have a biblical relationship with God. Sin no longer holds its fatal attraction. Now, I think everybody in here, probably there's some time in your life that sin was attractive to you. There were things that were attractive to you. There were things that that you just, you wanted to go do that or you wanted to go uh, hang out there or you wanted to go hang out with this person because sin was attractive to you. And we all have been there and have lived that life. But grace changed everything for you and for I. You changed grace. You remember that time you, you encountered grace for the first time when you didn't deserve it, but you found it? Romans 6, 1 through 2, that says, uh, uh, shall, or what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? If you died out to sin, if grace was extended unto you, why would you want to go back and live in it? When we are born again, the power of the Holy Ghost breaks the power that sin once had over us. Once we lived only to please ourselves, but when we have been forgiven, our motivation changes and we now live to please God. It should be the goal of every Christian to sin no more. Although we recognize that while we are in the flesh, we are still in the flesh and we may stumble. God's desire for each of us is to be holy as he is holy and we still sin though but sin is no longer a lifestyle choice. And when we fail, we come to God and ask for forgiveness. 
And if we are truly God's children, we will allow his word to correct us, to discipline us as we need it. His word was given, not that we would live this life to simply make heaven, but that we would have life and have it more abundantly. In order to live this Christian life to its fullest, we must have grace and truth. In the example of the adulterous woman, the truth was she sinned. You can't escape that. The truth is there. It's in the scripture. The truth is she sinned. So because she sinned, she was a prime candidate for the consequences of sin, which was punishment. But in that moment, Jesus steps in with grace. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to punish you. But I'm going to offer you another chance. I'm going to offer you an opportunity for change. You see, change is only in the realm of grace. It's the only place you'll find it. You won't find change in a bottle. You won't find change in a needle. You won't find change in a a bunch of different women or men. That's not where change comes. Change only exists in the realm of grace from God. When you give someone grace, you give them the opportunity to change. And I, I, know, uh, I know that no one in this room is perfect. Some of us, maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you even messed up today. But even when you give yourself grace, you're giving yourself the opportunity to change. And God is pleased with that. The desire of Jesus that day, when he was standing there with that woman, was to give the adulterous woman the opportunity to change. Everyone else wanted to kill her. Everyone else wanted to just remove her from the earth. Everyone else wanted to show their righteousness because they were greater than her. They were living a better life than her. They weren't in the sin that she was in. And they have the stone in their hand ready to throw it, but Jesus saw the truth of the situation and still, through grace, gave her the key to open the door to change her life and have a better life. He didn't simply say, go be about your business, go back to your life that you were living. But Jesus said these words to her, go and sin no more. Go and make some changes in your life. Go and stop talking the way that you used to talk. Stop using the language you used to use. Stop going to the places you used to go. Stop drinking what you used to drink. Stop dressing the way you used to dress. Stop listening to what you used to listen to. Stop watching what you used to watch. Go and live a biblically-based life that is pleasing unto me. That's what he said in that story. He said, Pastor, I've, I've never been where she's at. Well, guess what? Maybe you haven't been where she's at. But there was a day and time in your life where you're not where you are tonight. There was a God that walked in on the scene and said, Go and sin no more. Now, did he know when he spoke that to you, did he know that you were going to go live this perfect life and you're all just angels? We are all perfect. No. No. And his his word even tells us that we're going to fall. That the righteous man is going to fall. But he gets back up. That's living that biblically-based life that if we live a biblically-based life, it gives us a much better chance to fulfill the purpose that God has placed upon our life. Everyone in this room has a purpose. And, and, and when, he, when you had that experience, that one-time experience with him, it sparks something in you. How do I know that? Because you're here tonight. How do I know that? Because you're here on Sundays. 
because you're hungry for more. You're wanting to get more. You say, well, what, what else is there to learn? What, you know, what else can I do? Am I not pleasing God? Those questions need to be coming up. What does his word say? Because I have to be in alignment with his word. Not my opinions, not my thoughts, not my feelings. Everybody these days is operating in their feelings. You know, whatever makes you feel good, that irks me. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever is pleasing unto you. No, it's whatever makes God feel good and whatever is pleasing unto him is what matters. What does his word say? I have to have a biblically-based life in order to please him. My reward will come someday, but God, what can I do while I'm here? Am I living a life that's pleasing unto you? What am I doing after that experience of receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized in your name? That was that initial spark. That was that key that opened the door to change in your life. And you'll never find that change anywhere else but right here in his word. This is where you're going to get the instruction. This is where you're going to find out, oh, well, God's word says, how should I handle this situation? Don't operate in your feelings and your emotions. Operate in the word of God. Because chances are the way you were going to handle it is not the way God says to handle it. But when you handle it biblically, I promise you God's in it. And the outcome is going to be much better than it would have been if you had handled it the way you wanted to. We must have an encounter. There's going to be sin. We were all born into it. There's going to be an encounter. And there always should be, if you allow it, change in your life. Tonight, Sister Brooks, you've lived this for a long time, but you're not the person tonight that you probably were back when you first received the Holy Ghost. How old were you when you received the Holy Ghost? How old were you when you received the Holy Ghost? 12 years old. 12 years old. Were you a different person back then than you are now? Are you stronger in the word and stronger in prayer today? Yeah. It comes with time and experience and getting into his word. It comes with being hungry for change and being hungry for righteousness and holiness in our life. I want to live a life that's pleasing unto God, but we'll never know what that is if we're looking through our filter, but we got to look through a biblical filter and say, God, I want to know what's right in your eyes. I want to know what's right, and I want to know what's holy in your eyes, your opinion of it, not mine, but yours, because I want to be in alignment with God. I don't care if I'm in alignment with the government. I don't care if I'm in alignment with man. If it doesn't match up in alignment with God, then I don't want to be a part of it. But I want, to be, I want to be in line with God. I want this church to be in line with God. I want God to be pleased with our church as a whole. I want him to look at this church. I want it to be pleasing unto him. And that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm teaching these things tonight. And that's why this summer we're going to go into this stuff. We're going to have biblical base, just good, deep questions being answered of what's it look like to live this life that is pleasing unto God biblically. Not what I think is right, but what does God's word say is right? Because that's what's going to matter in the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you, Lord, for it being challenging and convicting, Lord. And it changes us, Lord, if we apply it. 
And I ask you tonight, God, that we would take this word, God, and we would take it as a seed and plant it deep in our heart, Lord. Let it change us, Lord. God, I pray, God, that you would, God, everyone in this room, God, as we open your word this week and begin to read at home, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, speak to us things that need to be changed or pulled or plucked out of our life, Lord, that is not pleasing unto you. God, I pray there would be change in us, Lord. God, that we would be willing, Lord, to say whatever it is that you want from me, God, I am willing to remove those things. If it stands between me and you, God, that I want to remove from my life because I want to live a life of righteousness and holiness. God, I want to be right in your eyes, God. God, and I pray tonight, God, let your word, God, do that this week. Challenge us, convict us, and change us, God, through your word so we can be what you want us to be and fulfill the purpose that you have placed upon us as individuals and as a church in this city, this mission field you've placed us in, God. We thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, 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 amen. I love every single one of you. Shake hands with somebody before you leave, and you're dismissed in Jesus' name.